All right, let's go. Hey, welcome everybody in the room, everybody joining us from all the different Ports Live locations, Ports Indy, Ports Boise, some of who is here, Ports Cincinnati, Ports North Houston, Tulsa, Austin, all the different live locations. We're continuing this series, Point of View, looking at how they saw the Son of God when he was on this planet. And let me start with a little bit of a story. Around 11 months ago, my wife and I discovered that we were pregnant with our third child. And yeah, get excited, thank you for that. And shortly after that, you know, a few months go by and we discover that we're having a son. So we've got a six-year-old boy now, at the time he was five, and then a three-year-old daughter, and then we're gonna have a son that's gonna be born. And we picked out the name, and he was gonna go by Bear, Bear Michael Marvin, like, you know, Bear Bryant or the animal. And my daughter was as perplexed. Both my kids were very perplexed. I'm like, he's going to go by Bear. So Crew is my son's name. Monroe is my daughter's name. And my daughter goes, but Dad, in her like very list, but Daddy, uh, how are we going to call him Bear? We already have a bear. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's talking about her teddy bear. She's going, we already have that. We're going to have two bears. It's going to be confusing. I'm like, he's going to start going by Teddy, okay? That's going to be your new bear's name. And my son, we're driving in the car, and this conversation's happening, and I can see the wheels turning in his head, and he's like, he's gonna go by Bear, Bear. And he goes, okay, I have a question. Let's say one day when he's grown up, and we all go on a family bear hunt, and we're out in the woods, and we see a bear, and I say, watch out for that bear! And he doesn't know we're talking about a real bear, he thinks we're talking about him, what are we gonna do then? And I was like, Man, because we love bear hunts. Uh, <laughs> if we ever go on a bear hunt, we will come up with another name that he will go by while we're on the bear hunt so that everything will be okay. And he's like, okay, that makes sense. And eventually nine months go by and Bear was born January 24th of this year. And there he is, just little cutie. And everything was great and healthy. And, and he just uh, is, was amazing. And then a week went by, and we began to notice that he was having some problems with his eyes, specifically his right eye, and his right eye began to swell up and began to shut, and so we, we knew something's wrong, so we went to the hospital, and they told us he has amniotic fluid trapped behind his eye, and we thought it was maybe a tear duct or just something, you know, irritated it, and they said, no, you don't get that out. It could damage his, his optic nerve, and the fluid could even get to his brain, which confused me because I would assume there's more compartments in there that can keep things separated, but they said, no, you gotta make sure you get that out or his vision will be impacted. And so for the next seven days, every single day, we had to go to the hospital and they had to treat him and treat his eye to restore back his vision. Now fast forward and today, I mean, here's a picture of him from yesterday where he is just happy as can be, smiles, you can't see it, but this is like the greatest stage ever where they're just chunks and they look like they have rubber bands attached all over their arms like Popeye or something because there's just rolls. And he's fully healthy. And that eye treatment that we went through was significant because they basically said, hey, if you don't address these, it's going to impair his vision for the rest of his life. Now, what does that have to do with what we're talking about tonight? Well, in this series, we are attempting to treat the flawed vision that many of us have when it comes to how we view God. And we're doing so by looking at the point of view of people 
who had encounters with Jesus when he was on the planet. And so every week, we're attempting to go through, like my son in the hospital, the treatment to help address and correct the flawed perspectives and visions that a lot of us have when it comes to God. Because how you see God, as one famous theologian named A.W. Tozer famously said, what comes to mind when you think of God is what is the most important thing about someone. Because it determines if you run to him or away from him in the midst of failure. It determines if you're gonna be willing to trust him and trust his word as it relates to how you should think about life, money, finances, dating, love, relationships. Are you gonna trust him or not? Our perspective on who God is shapes our future. It's currently shaping our lives. And so we're attempting to walk through and get a correct perspective on what God is like because Jesus on the planet is the image of the invisible God. So when we look at Jesus, we're looking at God. We're able to know what he's actually like. And my heart tonight is that some of us that came in here who think that God is looking at you with disappointment, frustration, apathy, looking to catch you, shame you, will have an encounter and see Jesus in a more clear way. And I think some of us are gonna walk away and like the man we're gonna look at, never be the same. So we're gonna look at a story in Luke chapter 19. It's one of the more famous stories. If you grew up in church, you're familiar with it. But it's a story of an interaction between Jesus and the wealthiest man in the New Testament. And there's a song related to this man and his name was Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a a wee little man, there you go. Man, if they were writing that song today, that would be canceled very fast, but Zacchaeus was not just a wee little man, we're gonna see he was a hated man, and rightfully so. And Jesus does some very interesting things, and candidly, for those of you who do know the song, my greatest concern is that you're so familiar with the story, you've almost been inoculated or vaccinated from its power. Because you're so familiar with it that the radical ways it shocked the audience present, it shocked the man who was a part of it, and has shocked the church in history since, may be lost. And so let me pray, and I'm gonna read the text one more time. Father, I pray that you would allow us to see what Zacchaeus and those near him saw that day which is to say you'd allow us to see you as you are, not as we think, not as we're told, not as any other thing, but as who you are. And you would allow us to walk away never the same. Amen. So this starts in Luke chapter 19. Jesus is in the last week of his life on earth. So he's got very few days left. He's headed to Jerusalem to go be crucified. And he goes through a town called Jericho, and it says this in verse one. Now he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see Jesus. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So we ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, 
for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they, the crowd, saw it, they grumbled and said, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus, sometime in the midst of the conversation and meal, experiences a radical change, and he stands up and says to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it for fold or four times what I took. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. I want to look at three things that we take away from the story. All of them have SOS, so if you take notes, it'll be easy to go along with. But First, I want to talk about what Zacchaeus saw when he saw the Savior and seeing him correctly and what that included. And so the first idea I want to pull from the text is seeing the Savior. Let me recap what just happened. Jesus, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's got a big crowd that's going around him. His fame at this point is widespread. Word has traveled out because a few chapters earlier or a few uh, weeks before, Jesus raised a man from the dead. And the moment you do that, just tip, your fame begins to explode everywhere. And so he brings a guy back to life, and Jesus is now a rock star. Everywhere he goes, there's crowds all around him. There's one crowd that's here, and he's walking through Jer- Jericho. What do you know about Jericho? Jericho was called by a historian at the time the fattest city that existed. In other words, it was the most prosperous city in all of Palestine. It was the wealthiest. Today, you can go see all the palm branches. It looks like Palm Springs, and it was the center of enormous wealth. And he walks through, and he encounters a man who is described as being someone of enormous wealth. And his name is Zacchaeus. And we're told a few things about him. One, that he's short in stature. We're told that he's rich. And we're told he's a chief tax collector. Now, what's a chief tax collector? Now, a tax collector, there's really no modern equivalent inside of our society for this, but I'll try to describe why it was so hated and why he was so rejected by the people he was around. A tax collector had purchased the right from the Roman Empire, which had conquered the known world. They basically as Rome established itself, it said, man, we need to get taxes and have people pay us taxes. So I know what we'll do. We'll get people that live in these areas like Judea or Jerusalem, and they can buy the right to say, hey, I will give you a million denarii, or I will give you this fixed price so that I can now have the right to go tax these people. And I'll give you that amount of money, and I get to add on top of it whatever I want. And Rome basically said, that's great. And so for Jews, tax collectors were people who had said, I don't believe the Jewish God, I don't want anything to do with them, and I don't mind enriching myself at the expense of other people. I'm gonna finance the oppression of people around me. And he wasn't just a tax collector. It says he was a chief tax collector. He's a trivia answer to a Bible trivia question. There's only one chief tax collector in all of the Bible. He's at the head of the pyramid scheme. He's got tax collectors working underneath him. And it makes sense why Zacchaeus was such a hated person, that he would show up, And he had the strength of the Roman centurions and the Roman army with him. And he'd say, hey, you need to pay me an additional 50 
percent on top of the taxes you're already paying, and if people wouldn't pay up, then he would just take things from them. He had the strength of Rome and the ability to mistreat and abuse people, and he had done so and enriched himself. And then he hears about Jesus, and he hears that this man who's he's like given sight to the blind, he's, he's long, Zacchaeus has walked away from his faith, but he still knows his stories. He would have heard as a little Jewish boy of the Messiah, and when he comes, and the miracles he would do, and people were beginning to say, he may be the Messiah, and, and so he's intrigued, and word comes, that, hey, Jesus is on his way into town, Zacchaeus decides, I just want to go see him. And he gets to the crowd, and he's too small, we're told. It's like Danny DeVito, who I don't even know who you guys know who that is, but he's basically unable to see you know, around, and so he decides, I don't know what I'm going to do. There's a tree right there. I'm going to climb up the tree, and he climbs up into the tree, and Jesus is walking along, and Zacchaeus just wanted to see him. And he gets Jesus walking right next to the tree, and he stops, and he looks up, and says, Zacchaeus. Now, they've had no interaction before. So Zacchaeus is like, he knows my name? I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. And he says, hurry down. I need to stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus sees his Savior and sees what anyone who knows Jesus understands, at least in part, that he is a God who seeks after sinners. And seeing our Savior, we see he's a God that seeks after sinful, broken people because that's all the people that there are. And anyone inside of this room who has baggage inside of their past is a perfect candidate or in their present for someone that God wants to seek. And now, whenever we think of Jesus seeking the marginalized, it's hard to equate into our mind because Part of us goes, man, I just, he's always going after the bad guys and the marginalized and the prostitutes. That's just Jesus. That's who I love. But if you were in the crowd, you weren't going, I love that. This is the most hated man around. I mean, I was trying to think of an equivalent today of who's the most hated person in society. Now, I could pick some political names on either side that would really quickly expose. I mean, the person that if you saw me taking a picture with on the gram, the comments are going to light up of, how dare you take a picture with that person? And don't you know, blah, 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 blah. And so I don't know who that is for you, but the person that you would go, that's not right. Or don't you know what you're communicating by associating with him? Is exactly the person. And Zacchaeus sees what maybe some of us have missed, that our God is a God who seeks after sinners. And seeing Jesus, we see he's a God who seeks after. In other words, there is no one who is an acceptance or exception to having God's acceptance through Christ. There is no one who's an exception to having God's acceptance in Christ. In other words, the part of you that thinks, man, because of the decisions I made last week or decisions I made last weekend, I can't show up on church. Because of the fact that, man, I've just been wrestling with pornography for so long, God didn't want anything to do with me, or because of the shame I carry from a past abortion, you know, I know God loves me because he loves the world, but he doesn't want me. Zacchaeus would say, man, you're not seeing the Savior that I saw that day, because he seeks after sinners. You don't have to clean yourself up first in order to have a relationship. Zacchaeus didn't do anything but climb a tree, and he was sought after by God. 
that part of us that feels like we need to clean up, Jesus would say, it's not just untrue, it's not possible apart from him. Like that tendency, like in my house or with my life, um, there'll be times where we'll host like a Christmas party for a community group or host family over for some holiday. And when that happens, gentlemen, let me just prepare you for what's gonna happen someday when you're married and your wife. She's gonna look at you and she's gonna go into full clean mode. Like we need to shove these things in closets. We need to make it look like no one has ever even lived here. We're lighting candles and putting them in bathrooms. I don't even know we had these candles before. She's busting out music and playing, you know, the, some new Taylor Swift album softly in the background. And I walk in, she's in an apron baking brownies. I'm like, I've never even eaten a brownie baked before. She just goes into full we are gonna put our best foot forward. Which is ironic because it's often like our family and closest friends and we're like, we can't let them know what's actually happening here. <laughs> and it's funny, but when it comes to God, that's how a lot of us feel. As though like we could hide things in closets and get them together and man, if I had enough quiet times, then, then he's okay with me coming to him. Which is crazy. He knows everything. He knows everything you've ever done, everything you ever will do. He knows sins you will commit in 2027 that you don't even know about yet. And he said it's paid for. And whatever perspective you had on God when you came to this room, Zacchaeus would say, you can't leave not knowing he is a God. If you're gonna see our Savior who seeks after sinners, I can speak from experience and then he does something really interesting. We're given a glimpse into Jesus' focus on this man. Like Zacchaeus, as I said, he was focused on seeing Jesus. Jesus was focused on saving Zacchaeus. And he walks underneath and he knows exactly where Zacchaeus is and he goes to the tree and he goes to the spot and he knows who the man is and he says something he says in only one place in the New Testament. Zacchaeus, hurry down, hurry, come on, hurry. In other words, there's no other place in the Bible. Jesus is often, he's just not in a hurry. And the one encounter that we have where he says, man, I am passionate about being with you. Hurry down, I'm not gonna wait. You get down here. I can't wait to be inside of your house. And then he calls him by name. You know what's ironic about that? You know what the name Zacchaeus means? This man who had been seen. Rabbis taught that if you were a tax collector, you can't go to temple. You can't go worship among God's people. They taught that if you went into the home of a tax collector or had them in your home, anything that they sat on would become unclean. It was taught that rabbis, which is just Jewish teachers of the day, would say, hey, it's not a sin to lie to a tax collector because they're less than human. How long, and he'd been treated this way, and he'd only gone further and further. I mean, he's not a tax collector, just started. He is the chief of the tax collectors. 10 years, 20 years? How long had it been since somebody had even been in his home? Sure, he's got the, the ride, the Lambo, the mansion, but it's empty. Just like Zacchaeus' heart. And the son of God says, man, I'm in a hurry to be with you. You come down. The name Zacchaeus means innocent or pure. His Jewish parents named him right. And at some point he took a turn and became anything but innocent and pure. And Jesus says, I'm about to help you be what your name means and I'm gonna call you innocent 
and pure, and you come down. And then they go to his house. We're told the crowd begins to grumble. In verse 8, it says, they're having this meal, and something shifts in Zacchaeus. Maybe it was just the fact that he's sitting and he's looking into the eyes of somebody, and they looked at him in a way that he hadn't felt since maybe like his mom had looked at him or somebody who loved him. And he's conversing with him. Something shifts, and Zacchaeus begins to go, man, I'm leaving everything. I'm changing jobs. I'm giving it away. I'm making wrongs right. Maybe in the midst of the conversation, Jesus miraculously brought up things as he does in other places in the New Testament. And Zacchaeus knew this is not a normal man. Maybe he brought up names of his siblings or something he experienced when he was a child or some reason that Jesus said, I, I remember when you got into tax collecting. I remember the day that you walked away from God because of the disappointment you faced. We're not even told. But he has some conversation with Jesus. And halfway through the lunch, he stands up and says, Lord, I'm leaving it all, and I'm going to give half of my possessions away to the poor. This is the richest man around. This is Elon Musk standing up saying, I'm not buying Twitter. I'm giving half of the things that I own away. And the other half I'm going to keep because I'm going to go, and I'm going to make every wrong that I've done right. And I'm going to show up and people that I've stolen from, I'm not just going to give them back what I've stolen. I'm going to give them four times as much. Imagine the guy who ripped you off, stole $10,000 from you, and he shows up at your door and says, man, I met Jesus. Here's $40,000. I'm really sorry. That's exactly what happened. Because Zacchaeus, in seeing our Savior, he also shows us how we see our salvation. Jesus says, salvation came to this house. In other words, this is not lip service. This is a changed man. The second point I want to highlight is seeing our salvation. The Bible says that two things are made a part of someone experiencing salvation. The first is that they have to see themselves as a sinner. In other words, one of the barriers to people becoming a believer, and candidly, some of you guys in the room, is you think that, yeah, I'm not perfect, but if I give enough to charity and I'm a nice person and I don't commit adultery or kill anybody and I just, you know, try to be good and follow the way, then I'll get to go to heaven. And that's not true at all. The Bible says you're unable to save yourself. And if you don't see yourself as a sinner, you're never going to have a need for a savior. That you need a solution that on your own you can't provide. A couple months ago, we went to Indianapolis and we were up there and we were at the porch in Indianapolis. And while we were there, uh, the person who basically invited us and had us come speak, he rented a car for us and we showed up and he said, hey man, I got you a Tesla rental car. Just wanted you guys to have fun. And I don't know how you roll. I'm not exactly a Tesla. Oh, man, this is a lot about Elon tonight. But I'm not exactly a Tesla person. I've never driven a Tesla. So we get in it, and it's like, man, I'm I, um, not sure exactly how this works. And I'm looking for the keys, and there's no keys. And I'm like, man, there's got to be. It's, surely it's around here. And I'm with Josiah, and he's looking for it. And we're like trying to find, like, how do you do this? And we're like, on, <laughs> on, trying to do anything we can to get this car to start because we don't know what we're doing. And eventually I'm like, man, we're running late. We are going to be late. I just pull up YouTube and go, how do you start a Tesla? <laughs> and it turns out there's like a card that you have to put in a very specific thing or location. And that turns on the car. For whatever reason, that's how they describe it. But that's how you do it. Now in that scenario, we could have either sat there and been unable to move 
and continue to attempt to figure it out on our own or make the decision. I'm not gonna arrive at this on my own. And that's the same with eternal life and knowing Jesus in this life, that it's something you can't arrive at on your own. Having a relationship with God and the right to be with him for eternity, you will never get there on your own. And it requires doing what Zacchaeus saw of, man, I see I'm a sinner. And this is where he had an interesting head start on the crowd. Because you remember, the crowd said, does he not know? Do you not know who you're associating yourself with a sinner? Zacchaeus knew. Jesus knew. What they didn't know is that he only associates with sinners. The only people who've ever lived are sinners. And you can't experience salvation and have a need for a savior if you don't see yourself as a sinner and someone broken. And if that's the case, if that's how you see, you are the perfect candidate for experiencing God's grace. The second thing we see about what makes up salvation is that it comes not through a process, but a person. Salvation comes through a person, not a process. Jesus said, salvation came to this man's house like I walked in his door. Salvation came in this door. Christianity has never taught. Salvation is something that you earn and you must do a a bunch of good works, keep the sacraments, and if you do enough, and if you don't, then you're gonna lose it. Salvation doesn't come through a process. It doesn't come through a mantra. It comes through a man. It doesn't come through a process. It comes through a person, and that person is named Jesus. And when you encounter him, everything begins to change. That's the third thing we see is his salvation impacted his life. It led to a life change. But it wasn't a life change directed by law. That doesn't change. This extravagant, over-the-top, giving fourfold back from what you stole, that's well beyond what the Old Testament even taught. If you rob somebody, you gotta pay this. It's four times as much. Zacchaeus, he's just in love. He does what you do when you're in love. He's going, man, I'm I'm giving it all away. He experienced a love that led to a life change. And this is why, if some of you guys, you come around, and maybe it's your first time here and you got friends and they just love the porch and they talk about it and it's beginning to impact their life. Jesus has begun to impact their life. And you begin to see them change. You know why they change? It's not because they come and they lead a, or we read a big list of rules and you need to stop doing this and you need to do this and this and this and this and then God will love you. They experience the love of God and they begin to change. So they begin to know, because of God's acceptance inside of me. It's, it's just doing something in my life. And the way I used to date, I just don't date that way anymore. In fact, even like trying to pick up girls at the bar, I just find myself unable. I'm not as good. I can't do it. I go, I'm like, hey, girl, do you, you own a Bible? And uh, <laughs> you're just experiencing God's love begin to change you. Like some of you guys, like, I've seen it, the way you dress. It's begin to shift, because you used to dress and go, man, how, what do I need to wear that's gonna bring the most attention to me? And now you ask, hey, what am I gonna wear that could distract from attention being on God? And it's because, not some law, like the love of God got introduced and it's beginning to impact your life, because that's what leads to lasting life change. And it's what happened with, your, uh, it's what happened with Zacchaeus in this story. It's, it's not as similar to this. Whenever I mentioned getting married, it's like that relationship, when I got married to my wife almost 10 years ago, having that relationship introduced began to produce tremendous change. And it began to change how I used my time, began to use how I money, 
what I spend on. And, and so it went from like, man, I'm sleeping on a futon to I'm sleeping on a comforter with 97 pillows. I used to be in a flag football league and now I'm a member at the Arboretum. And just life begins to change and how you spend your time and what you watch and used to eat dinners where guys, I know you're in the room, bro. I was one of you. Where you get home and you're like, man, is it gonna be a hot pocket night or just something else, leftovers or pizza for breakfast? And now you're gonna sit down and you're gonna have a dinner and you're gonna talk and there's gonna be you know, a longer meal. And that relationship just brings about change. And you know what? When you step into that relationship, it's not a change that you resist. Because you're in love, it's a change you welcome. And that's what we experience in Christ. And that's what Zacchaeus experienced in that moment. And then finally, we're introduced to the most powerful mission statement Jesus would ever give. Where in verse 10, Jesus lays out, here's why I'm here. Here's God's passion. Here is God's focus. Here's what I'm about. In other words, companies have mission statements, you know, uh, uh, Amazon to provide a place where you can get anything to anyone anywhere, or Nike to uh, provide, you know, athletic wear, whatever the mission statement is, that your company has one probably that you work for, and they have a mission statement that shapes what we're about and how we decide and make decisions. And Jesus gives us, here's the mission statement of God. And it's also the mission statement of anyone who loves Jesus. Because when you love Jesus, you love what Jesus loves. And he says this in verse 10. For the Son of Man, which is Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Do you guys know why I'm here? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give sight to the blind. And I'm going to raise somebody from the dead. And I'm going to do a bunch of miracles. But do you know why I'm here? Do you know what moves the heart of God? Seeking in saving the lost, every lost person, everyone you've ever seen, when I talked about the most hated person, whatever comes into your mind, the person that you'd be like, I can't believe that that person would associate with them. You know what Jesus' top concern for them is? Seek and save them. You know what Jesus' top concern for every person that you work with, regardless of you know, what they claim is their gender orientation or their sexuality above anything? He wants to seek and save them. And people who know Jesus, like Zacchaeus, in this moment steps into a relationship, people who love Jesus are gonna love what he loves. What does he love? People. And he says, I'm here to seek and to save, and I'm gonna do a bunch of other things, but I'm going to a cross because I'm here to seek and save lost people. And if you're gonna be about what I'm about, you're gonna be about seeking and saving lost people. The third idea we see from the text is sharing our Savior. Another S-O-S, Jesus' mission statement. Repeatedly, he would say, this is why I'm here. And as Christians, it's why we're here. Three chapters earlier in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 15, there's three stories Jesus rattles off. And in each of the stories, or the first two, he tells us the only time there is a celebration in heaven that takes place when an action happens. He says, there is rejoicing before the angels in heaven when one person comes to God. Luke chapter 15, verse 10. 
Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels are rejoicing among the angels of heaven over one sinner who repents. That means, you know what happened? When, if you're a Christian, you trusted in Jesus, there was an eruption of joy and celebration in heaven for you. What somebody celebrates shows you what they value. And people celebrate the Cowboys you know, winning or uh, the Mavs going on to the playoffs. People celebrate those things. People throw parades for Super Bowls because they value that victory. What somebody celebrates shows what they value. What heaven celebrates shows us what they value. What do they value? People coming to know Jesus. Of every story, every background, every history, what does Jesus value? Seeking and saving the lost. And there's a group of people in the crowd and they're grumbling and Jesus says you don't know what I'm like as I'm here to save people broken people which is the only type of people which means that as Christians we have an opportunity to be a part of sharing our faith in your apartment complex with the people that you work with with the family that you're a part of and opening up and looking for occasions to open up and share what you believe, where you find hope. And in doing so, be about what Jesus is about. What's interesting is the passage in Luke 19 tells us Zacchaeus got saved. Salvation came to his house. History tells us he spent the rest of his life sharing that salvation. In other words, him walking away, we're told by the church fathers, and the, basically the men who came right after the disciples and they record and they write out Zacchaeus, who was the tax collector, went on to become the bishop of Caesarea. In other words, in the same area where he was taxing people and taking from them, he gave the rest of his life to sharing the gospel with them. He became a pastor, sharing the savior that he met that day, and as Christians, we've been invited and are called to spend our life being about what Jesus is about and sharing the Savior that we have. As I said, people who love Jesus love what he loves, which is people. In 1996, and I'm about to close, in 1996 in Arlington, Texas, which is right in between Dallas and Fort Worth, if you're listening, it's basically right in our hood, it was a little girl whose name was Amber, and she was nine. She would be 35 today. She was out playing and riding her bike, and a black pickup truck pulled up alongside of her and abducted her. And they searched, and they searched. It's 1996, the widespread use of communication and cell phones, it just looked very different. And this nine-year-old girl, her family, they searched and searched and searched and, and they couldn't find her. And then eventually they found, tragically, that she had died. She'd been killed. And her family didn't want anyone to ever go through that again. So they came up with something and they were a part of the creation of something called an Amber Alert. Now I bet you've experienced what I've experienced which is an Amber Alert going off. 
You know what's interesting when that happens, the general reaction for most of us, because they kind of all go off at once, is grab my phone and oh, turn it off. And sometimes I read it and sometimes I don't. You know who always reads it? The parents of somebody looking for their little girl, somebody looking for their little boy. In fact, if there was someone in your life who had lost somebody and you knew that, and you knew they were gonna send an Amber Alert out, you, I'm confident you would be passionate going, hey, hey, make sure you check your phone, make sure you know that, make sure you, if you see that car, if you see that person, if you see this happening, because someone I know is lost. And we wanna do anything we can to prevent them from being separated from those who love them. The message of Jesus is that God has placed an Amber Alert on all of humanity. And he's got a Kyle Alert, and a Kelly Alert, and an Allison Alert, and a John Alert, and a Tyler Alert, and a Kevin Alert, and he wants humanity to not be separated from the one who loves them. And he's invited the church to be a part, just like with a parent who's looking for a child and saying, man, hey, there are people who are far from their father in heaven. And I'm inviting you to be about what I'm about, which is bringing the message of a God who's there to seek and save, not rip people off, not condemn them. Of a God who would give his life for them. And Zacchaeus, he's sitting in the tree and it begins to all click. Everything I thought about God was wrong. Everything I even walked away from was wrong. And our God is a God who seeks after sinners. He wants to save humanity. And now as someone who knows him, I get to be about sharing the message of Jesus. S-O-S, that's what Jesus is crying out. And S-O-S in terms of nautical terms is basically a ship saying, we need help, we need help. We need help. And the message of the Bible is that to anyone who is willing to say to God, I need help, I need help, I need help. I can't do it on my own. Is a candidate to receive the gift of eternal life because they are receiving Jesus gave his life for them. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. Jesus wanted to save Zacchaeus. And Jesus says, come down from the tree, Zacchaeus. I wanna be with you now and forever, which is why I'm gonna be placed on a tree, Zacchaeus, for you and all of hurting, broken humanity. And if you are someone in the room who has never received that free gift, let me be abundantly clear. You're sitting in a church on a Tuesday night at 825. You could be at happy hour. You could be watching sports. You could be doing a bunch of things. You know why you're here? You think it's because some friend invited you and you thought you were showing up to a restaurant and voila, here you are. It's because God is seeking you and wants a relationship with you. It's not holding the things that you've done or will do against you. He paid for them. And the rest of us, he's invited, man, are you gonna be about what I'm about? The passion that a parent feels for their child being separated is the passion and intensity that I feel for humanity. Are you gonna give your life to what the world says matters? Building your own kingdom? Focus on making rich people richer and enriching yourself? Are you gonna be about what Jesus is about? And if you don't know him, let me tell you what he's about. You. 
and you knowing him now and forever. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that we love because you first loved us. The generosity of Zacchaeus is as generous as perhaps anyone in the New Testament except you. That he gave away half of the things he had and you gave away all of the life you had. And I pray for anyone hearing my voice now, in the room, online, or some future date, you would help them see you, our Savior, and cry out in an SOS, I need your help, God. I'm a sinner, but in you I have a great Savior. We worship you now in song. Would we worship you with our lives for those of us who know you by sharing that Savior? Amen.